Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester here with Autumn Privet, and this is the Reading Women podcast. We're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women, and this is episode 10, where we'll be discussing Fun Home and Nimona. More graphic novels. Yes. I'm very excited about graphic novels because they are amazing. They combine the best of both worlds, pictures, words, and storytelling. So let's talk first about what graphic novels are not. Right. So people traditionally think they're for dudes. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're for guys, they're about guys, superheroes, they're for boys, whatever. But that's not true anymore. Not true. Lies. Nope. All lies. It is all lies. Women love graphic novels, too, by example of... Uh, if you see Comic-Con, there's the big thing about why if girls should even go to Comic-Con was ridiculous because I am talking to you as a level 100 blood elf hunter. Um, and if you know what that means, then you know that means know Kendra that is a reigning super nerd. I don't know what that means. It's from World of Warcraft. I don't, yeah. Well, it's okay. It's okay. We're all, we all nerd out in our own way. I don't internet um, very well sometimes. <laughs> So, uh, but for example, Nimona won the National Book Award uh, for Young People. Well, it was nominated for the um, Young People's Literature National Book Award, whatever. The kids, the kids won, of that. Um, but also, comics are banned a lot more than the average um, work of literature. Which is, like, which I kind of... It's the, it's the, it's well, the naked people. That's what it is. It's just the naked people. Yeah. And so people aren't confused. Just because there's a naked person, usually not very detailed because it is a comic, it is not always a sexual thing. I don't... Dylan, I would hold almost on. Stop. Stop trying to eat me. I love you. But you're chewing on my hand. Um, I would almost <laughs> argue in some ways that novels have more detail in them than graphic novels like regular print novels because they have to describe scenes in so much more detail to get the same idea across for example in a graphic novel if there's something you don't want to see or whatever there's someone gets shot with an arrow i think or a sword or something and if you don't want to look at it guess what you can just skim to the next frame and it doesn't matter like it's not a big deal um Uh, hi dylan uh, he did not like he is opinionated he has a thing about boxers and saints that was one of uh, his posts on let's see Hmm. speaking of banned books uh we're going to talk about fun home today which is one of the most banned books in america as we've discussed before and banned means uh like for example for about three times, a major protest has been at a college, a university, not high school or whatever, um, of the study of this book because of the naked guy. There's a naked guy um, at this funeral home. He's dead, and his, her dad's preparing to bury this guy. Um, well, he's doing an autopsy. or uh, like He's a mortician, so like they prepare it for burial and whatever. Um, and then also Alison Bechtel is a lesbian, and she has a girlfriend. So people are like freaking out about that but honestly it's not since it is the style especially of drawing that she uses it's not very graphic it's not very anatomically correct if that's a thing so we do want to give you a heads up that there is short 
tiny bits of nakedness in this book. There is mild language, but um, it is an amazingly well done graphic novel. But we, if that's your thing, not your thing, whatever. But can I say that after hearing horrible things about this book for years, I only oh. read it a month ago, and I was surprised at how little objectionable or, like, bad, I don't know the word, like, how little stuff is in it. It didn't live up to the hype. No, on that it didn't. I was, I was so surprised. I was like, oh. And, like, I kind of flipped through again after I finished it and was like, now, wait a minute, where were those? Not, like, just to kind of figure out, like, the proportion. So I think, I mean, sure, if, if you have triggers or if you have things you're sensitive to, yes, by all means, you should pay attention to those. But I do think that the media got a little out of hand with this one. And it's not gratuitous at all. Oh, no, it's not. So um, my personal thing is, like, I don't want to see a lot of gratuitous stuff that doesn't push the narrative forward or doesn't have a purpose. Basically, I like really tight writing anyway. So this is just so well done, and you can see why it's there, and it's not just there to be there. I know we're giving a lot of caveats, but... Well, I think with this one, we kind of need to, like... There, yeah. There's been so much negative press about it, and if you haven't read it, then you might have some reservations. So it's just better to address it up front. Good point. Kind of like Harry Potter. Oh, wait. We will go there. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Put those worms back in the can. Okay, moving on. <laughs> I'm going to talk, we're going to talk about Fun Home first. And so the primary um, plot point here would be the relationship between uh, the Allison and her father, Bruce. Um, so a question is, it's not really a question, how would you describe the daughter-father relationship versus the daughter-mother relationship? It depends on what part of the book you're in. I mean, Allison definitely seems to identify with her dad more at the beginning. Well, no, 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 no. Back up. She doesn't identify with him as much early on, but as the story progresses, she seems to have more in common with him or find more in common with him. Yeah, it, it does seem to flip-flop because, um, as many of you might already know, this won the Tony for Best New Musical in 2015, and it is a very well-done album. I only listen to album, obviously, being me, you know, whatever. Anyway, so, and there's this beautiful part in the beginning where he holds her up like an airplane, and so that's where it starts, is with her and her dad, and she really admires him, but he does, he's a, He's a bit uptight, and we know, we know, we figure out later in the book, that's because that he's a closeted homosexual, and he has a lot of boyfriends while he has a family. His wife knows about it because he stopped and had a, a liaison on, like, their honeymoon or something, and you're like, what on earth? Why did she stay with him? And we're going to talk more about her mother later and why her mother stayed with him, but um, Allison in particular wants to point out that she even though she's a lesbian, she did not stay closeted and she uh, sought out to discover uh, her feelings and, and whatever. And that changed her relationship with her dad. And that's, I think that's really what the book is about. It's not about her sexuality as much as it is about her trying to make sense of her relationship with her dad. Right. And that, of course, would be complicated when they're both gay. So, you know. It's a right. circle of life, but there is this um, beautiful moment that I think that the musical captures beautifully when Allison sees this 
uh, more butch woman come into the this diner and she sees her and she's like, oh, uh, I a woman can have short hair and do all these different things. And uh, it's just it's like a realization for her in her mind. So um, you sh- everyone should just go look up Ring of Keys on YouTube and just, it's, it's really pretty. So, but on top of all of this going on with her dad and her mom, there's a lot of allusions through the story. Um, like particularly you want to look at like the Icarus, uh, mythology where the kid and his dad, like they put on the, the wings and they're, um, glued with like wax or something. And so they fly, they fly close to the sun part, right? Yes. Yes. Right. I personally have this thing where I think it's more that her dad is Icarus, even though she is the kid, her dad is the one that flies close to the sun because we learn at the end, um, her dad really is into modeling, remodeling Victorian houses. And so he has this new house after Allison goes to college and he's remodeling and don't really know if he committed suicide or not, but he got hit by a truck. Right. Right. So it kind of implies that he committed suicide but we never really know, and I don't think Allison will ever really know. That's interesting, though, as him as Icarus and her as Daedalus. I assume the other way because of the age. Huh. But, I mean, he's the one that, that died, right? Right, right. So, um, and he's the one that kept it a secret, quote-unquote, not really secret, from his family, from his wife. Um, and they, at the near the end of the memoir, like, she talks about it with her dad. She talks about uh, her being a lesbian and doesn't really touch a lot on him being gay a ton. It's enough for them, it seems like, this conversation, but it doesn't really go into depth. Um, and it's like they'll never be able to have everything out in the open and just talk about it, like, point blank. It's more of a, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? More like assumed. It's like it's like unspoken. Like they come to kind of an unspoken agreement, or it's like a tacit agreement. I don't know. Yeah, my English degree is failing me right now. I can't. I can't even. But it is. It is very beautiful because you can see through the illustrations and through the storyline um, because it's framed by Allison herself. Because this is a graphic memoir um, based on you know her life. It's framed by her drawing this and the process of her drawing this. And she'll step in and be like, as I was figuring this out, I realized this. And and it's really amazing because she'll be able to give some perspective on the way her dad behaved. And like looking back on it now, I can tell blah, blah, blah. And just that relationship is just so incredibly complicated. As an aside at this point, one of the things I thought was amazing about this book was that she recreates handwritten letters by her self and her parents so like she draws her parents handwriting and it's all very distinct handwriting and I just thought that was a really cool personal touch yeah her, her talent is just amazing so it makes it feel more like a memoir than anything those little personal details so you mentioned earlier the house so let's come back around to that like kind of what's the deal with that Right, so her dad is very into remodeling Victorian houses, and he's very anal about it. Like, he wants everything in its place. He wants everything to look original, and it's this gothic, creepy style. So um, just like her dad feels repressed in his sexuality, Allison feels repressed in her own house. Um, So Fun Home refers to the funeral home that her dad ran 
And so she, Allison, and her two siblings would call it the fun home, and they would, like, play in, like, coffins and stuff. It's And it's, like, a multi-generational family business. Yeah, because, like, their grandma, right? I think, yeah. Her dad's mom, yeah, is part of it. So it's very strange, like, her dad working at a funeral home, having this gothic Victorian mansion, and that's kind of how he expresses himself. Because he's also a high school English teacher. Right, so... He has a lot going on, um, and that's one of the things that he has all this pent-up stuff, and he expresses it in a very, very negative way. He has, like, he's always around the boys at the school, and um, and it's just very inappropriate in the way that he behaves, and he has, like, boyfriends of varying his ages, and she doesn't know. She just thinks that they're, like, these guys that he's taking under his wing or former students or, or whatever. And it's just very, um, very creepy. And it's sort of like when he can't take the everything anymore, he kind of finds a boyfriend and her mom just takes it. So this house represents everything, like her dad imposing his own frustrations onto Allison and not letting her um, express herself as a person. Like, do, like he wants her to be more feminine and he's always into her clothes and her hair. And she's just like... I don't care. I'm like 11. (laughs) And the drawings of the house, like it is very ornate house. And it's like in some of the, what are they, in some of the panels, it shows them like watching TV in what looks like a museum. So it's like Adam's family house. Yeah. You really get the sense of how oppressive this, like the actual physical house is to the family. And I've got to wonder like, did she use pictures? Did she just remember because it was so scarring on her, like, psyche? Like, You know, well, maybe she went back because when I was doing a little bit of research for this episode, I saw that the house was for sale at some point. And the realtor advertised it as own a piece of history because it was her family house. Wow. Um, yeah, cool. weird. Yeah. Creepy. So maybe she just went back and drew sketches. I don't know. Good question. I don't know the answer. Um, well, that, I guess then our next question is, um, what? there's five billion literary illusions because her dad's an English teacher. So what role do they play in the memoir? Because they're not just there to be cool because it makes sense because they are cool. But um, I actually read a review where people were like, getting annoyed. There are so many, but I'm like, her dad's an English teacher. Well, but I thought too that the illusion... Okay, so there's the one... Of the, what is it, the French book? The book about France in the 1920s? I don't... Yeah, he's he's obsessed with giving her stuff to read. Yeah, but one thing that I did feel was that the illusion... I feel like a lot of times authors are too heavy-handed with illusions. And they, like, slap you in the face with them. Like, hey, look, here's another illusion. And she wasn't that way at all. I actually felt like her illusions were really subtle and well done. I... I really like them. And you could see, especially after she went to college and she kind of like was starting to realize that she was a lesbian. Like she started looking up like feminist uh, lesbian like critics and and was reading stuff on it. And she, her dad, she came out. Her parents were upset-ish. Yes. Not, you know, you've heard her stories, but whatever. And her dad eventually starts giving her more books to read. And it's like, because he won't come out himself, he wants to relate to her on this level of books. Right. And 
and as a bookish person, that's just really fascinating, like that we try to create some sort of level of familial intimacy by sharing what we're reading, um, even though that's not what we really want to talk about. Right. And there's too many to note here in this time frame, but um, there, I think she even talks about Joyce sometimes. She brings in like portrait of an artist, I think, if I remember correctly. There's Proust, as yeah. mentioned, and tons of Greek mythology. Yep. Um Things I don't uh, never even heard of, like you know. But I I read a list somewhere um, when I was looking it up. But there's just a ton there. So if you're a lit nerd, you probably will notice way way more than we are. Um, it's really cool. So um, I guess our last question about it is why did her mother stay with her father? Like she knew, she knew that he was cheating on her. Cheating like multiple times over the course of their entire marriage and eventually her mom goes back to school and there's this wonderful scene of she of of Allison connecting with her mother and trying to figure out like who is her mom why did why did she stay because she suspected stuff about her dad and her mom was studying and she obviously was trying to gain more independence and do something she loved and um but why I don't think it ever answers that question No, but doesn't she have a, um, what's the name of the other book she has where it explores more of her mother? Are You My Mother, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm sure it answers you there. I really, I guess I need to go pick that up now, but, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess basically the answer is that you have to read it, but, um, we're going to include all of these questions in our Goodreads group. So if you would like to answer them or you know the answer or you have cool tidbits, please go there and answer um, cause we'd love to hear what you have to say. Cause heaven knows you listen to us talk enough. Oh, yes. Like, please no more. Hopefully you're not that way. So one thing I do want to mention before we leave is the Bechdel test. If you've not heard of the Bechdel test, it is something that Allison's friend came up with that Allison made popular through her, um, lesbian comic strip. And it is, you have to see if there are two women in the movie, are they talking to each other? And are they talking to each other about something other than men? I love that test. And I know. And you're like, oh, is that weird? And then you start actually applying it to stuff, and you realize that a lot of movies fail this test. Because usually it's just the token woman. Like, I saw the new photo for the new Jumanji. Yeah. And there's a token woman in there, and they're in the middle of the woods, and she's in, like, this cutoff and super short shorts. And I'm like, no woman would actually wear that in the jungle because her legs would, and stomach and stuff would be torn to pieces. Okay, to pull back all the way around to last episode, episode nine, in Step Aside Pops the by Kate Beaton, she has a whole series about making fun of token women in superhero movies. I, I have to And read. it's hilarious. I'm going to read that now. It is so funny. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so um, that is Fun Home by Alison Bechtel. And now we're going to talk about Audible. I love Audible! You, If you listen to podcasts, you know about Audible. You know what it is. It is a audiobook subscription where you get one credit or however many credits you want. Um, and with us, you can get a free one month subscription, which is 30 days, uh, and one free audiobook. And I am actually listening to Syracuse right now, and John Slattery is one of the characters. What? Yes. I, I messaged you about this. 
I forgot already. Yeah, he and his, I believe, if I read this correctly, it is he and his wife and another couple actually reading. And they are the couples in the, it's about two couples, the book is. And they read it. And because Dealey Efron writes a movie scripts, the voices are on point. Like, just, I can't even, like, you can tell. I personally think it's a better audiobook than it is print because it is just so amazing. And the voices and the performances are just perfect. And in case you don't know who John Slatter, why can I not say that? John Slattery is. He is Roger Sterling in Mad Men. He's also in that spotlight that won a bunch of awards. And he's really good at what he does. Yes. <laughs> he, it, and the voices are great. And he's actually a pretentious writer in the book. Um, and it's not that long. It's about six CDs or seven and a half hours. Oh, that's short. Yeah, it's really short. You basically a few days of washing dishes and whatever, and you'd have it done. And it is just so weird. And you know something's happened in the beginning, and you don't know what it is. And it talks about, like, looking back on it now, and you're like, what happened? I need to read. I'm borrowing it from you, aren't I, when you get done? Yes, I have it. Okay, well. I will share. And then I'm, what am I listening here? Oh, I just got Shelter. <gasps> oh my goodness, Muppet Arms, Muppet Arms. I'm freaking okay. out, Dylan. <laughs> so, as you can tell, we are obviously huge audiobook fans. And if you use our link, you help support our podcast so we can keep talking about all the books in the world. Because that are by or about women. Exactly. <laughs> um, which I guess is a good segue to the next book we're talking about. Nimona. Nimona. I am going to summarize it first and then we're going to talk about it. And also, I found an interview with, with Noelle Stevenson. And the interviewer asked her, asked her in your own words, what is Nimona about? So I'm going to read her response. So this is the creator. She says, Nimona is about a supervillain mad scientist knight and his shape-shifting trigger-happy girl sidekick, the titular Nimona. Ballister is actually a pretty nice guy, but Nimona just wants to blow stuff up. They go up against Sir Goldenloin, the codpiece-wearing, swishy-haired hero, and the duplicitous institution he represents. It all takes place in a medieval futuristic world. That sums it up pretty nicely. Is it really Golden Loin? I thought it was Golden Lion the entire time I read it. <laughs> no. Oh, my goodness. No. It makes so much more sense now. Because <laughs> he has that ridiculous outfit. Yes. Oh. Anyway. Struggle. <laughs> anyway. So, um... A little news about this before we get started. It's actually being adapted into a movie. And I don't know if it's like a TV movie or a movie movie or if there's a difference. Fox is doing it, so whatever. Um, so, yeah, so that's something you can be looking forward to. That'd be really cool. You know if it's like an animated movie? I believe so. Oh, my goodness. I would assume so. Why? I mean... You would think. You would think. Um... Nimona started out as a web series, and in 2013, it won Slate's Best West, Best Web Comic of the Year prize. And she also writes for Marvel's 
Thor, and Runaways. And she does the Lumberjanes. Can't forget the Lumberjanes. So she's obviously very skilled at what she does. So we're introduced in the first couple pages to Blackheart. It's Ballister Blackheart. And he is the bad guy. And you can't see it, but I'm doing bad guy in air quotes. So we're introduced to Ballister Blackheart and very shortly introduced to his arch nemesis, Sir Goldenloin. And <laughs> are you going to giggle every time I say that? So we find out that Blackheart and... <laughs> I can't say it now. So we find out that Blackheart and Sir Goldenloin actually went to school together. So they trained together to be knights. In the final joust of the year, Blackheart loses an arm to Golden Loin, and that is the day that Blackheart becomes a bad guy. Um, which is interesting, and maybe we can camp on this for a minute. So the reason that Blackheart, so because he loses his arm, Blackheart just re- says. Oh, well, I'm disfigured, so now I'm a, a villain is the only path that I have. I think also you have to note that it is heavily suggested, implied, that Golden Loin, man. <laughs> Five or twelve. That Golden Loin and Blackheart were in a relationship before the joust, and so, like... What? How did you miss that? What the How heck? did you miss that? How did you miss that? I did not see that there at all. That doesn't... You need to go back. <laughs> I just took it back to the library. No. <laughs> okay, you can Google it. But anyway, as, 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 as noted, it's not explicitly stated, but it is implied that they were in some sort of relationship. Um, they were in training and stuff, and that kind of like brokenhearted, um, my love, whatever maimed me kind of deal going on and how he wasn't perfect anymore he wasn't as beautiful as golden line and so like his inner black heart turmoil stuff yeah so it's just i just thought it was interesting that she kind of critiques this idea that only perfect people are heroes because and i'm not saying that's prevalent in society anymore because of marvel whatever um but it was just an interesting theme to discover. So, um, so then, like, so how Nimona comes up is she's she comes to Blackheart and she's heard of him, and she's like, "You're an evil villain. You need a sidekick because all evil villains have a sidekick." And he's like, "No, go away." And she's like, "No, you need me." And she reveals that she's a shapeshifter, so she can change into any shape at basically any time, anywhere. Um, and he's like, okay, that could be beneficial. That's when things get complicated. Because you start to realize that maybe Blackheart, even though his name is Blackheart, is not a bad guy. Like, maybe that the government is doing some shady stuff. Definitely. Because he's kind of like a softy. He is. He's like, he definitely has a conscience, at least. Yeah, I think so. And now, we just need to point out here also... It's wonderful that Nimona is not a stick figure. Oh, yes. Um, she, she's not, like, she, she's not fat. She looks like a real person. 
it is so wonderful to see a even a sidekick. She's kind of she's pretty much the hero of the story. Like to be like not this like well look at Captain Marvel. Okay, Captain Marvel. She's blonde and gorgeous like Barbie figure, and that's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, and she's cute. Like she's really cute. Like I love Nimona. Anyway, so, like, there's a lot, too, about Nimona and Blackheart and them navigating their relationship because Nimona's very volatile, and she's more volatile than Blackheart, so he's always kind of trying to rein her in, and she's always like, you need to be less controlling or less reserved. Um, And I'm going to try very hard not to give away any plot spoilers, but... So they find out that, like, maybe something's going on in the government, and then they kind of set out kind of together. Like, she kind of drags him into it, kicking and screaming. Well, she kind of forces him into it. And they kind of go to try to... Well, actually, what they do is try to defeat the good guys, the good guys in air quotes, because they're actually the bad guys. They're actually doing bad things. And this is one part of the book I wish they went into more detail about, but it's kind of implied that, well, it's more than implied that the government is doing illegal testing and like on people like Nimona, people who they consider monsters. And so we kind of learn more about that as we go on. That's, that's creepy. It's super creepy. That was, so I would say the first two thirds of the book are really funny and lighthearted. And then all of a sudden it gets kind of dark. Like in a real hurry. Um, Because we find out about this genetic testing and these things that the government is doing illegally to people like Nimona. And it's really scary. Yeah, and like at the end, Nimona struggles to control her powers. And it's like it was done to her. Like she, she can't control it. And it's really sad, like, I don't know, it's like she feels like it's her fault that she does certain things and it's it's not. Yeah, and I really want a sequel. There's an epilogue where they kind of imply that everything is okay because the ending is total chaos. But I really want, because I think this idea of what is a monster and should we or should we not try to control them, or what are, like, even with Blackheart, like, he could be qualified or defined as a monster because he has a robotic arm right so and people are trying to control him and he's actually a good person and kind of with kind of like with Nimona too is like she's people call her a monster and in a way she kind of is but at the same time like she's a person too so that's one thing when it was done I was like ah I want another one or like I want more like I really want more so I hope she writes a sequel. If she doesn't, I'll be very upset. Noelle, if you're listening to this, please write a sequel. Thanks. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're not the only ones. It's really good. Like, I did not know what I was getting into. I thought it was going to be more about Nimona, but it's more, and it is, but it's also a exploration of what is good and what is bad and why and when and where and how, and I loved it. And the as I mentioned in the last episode... Um, the illustrations are beautiful because in some places she does full, well, almost full color. And then in some places it's like these little sketches, like especially during the fight scenes 
and the shape-shifting scenes, they're more chaotic, and the lines and the boundaries of the characters are less defined, which really mirrors what's actually happening in the plot. So those are things about graphic novels that I feel like the illustrations actually reinforce the plot points, which you really can't do in any other medium. Yeah. It's her. She's one of my favorites. Definitely an illustrator. And she gets to change hair at will. No I know. Does. I wish I could do that. And she changed into a shark. Like, I want to change into a shark. I love the shark and a cat. Okay, so my cats, like, sleep on the counter all day or on my porch all day. And I'm like, I wish I could be a cat sometimes. Not all the time. Just sometimes. Professor McGonagall. I know. Seriously. And I'm just... So that's Nimona by Noelle Stevenson. And I know that we didn't give away too many plot details there, but that's on purpose. Because I think part of the beauty of this book is the surprise of it because you don't know where it's going. So, Nimona, go read it. Hopefully your library has it. (laughs) Unlike mine. We won't go there. So I guess that's it for this episode. But don't forget to review us if you like us. And if you review us, we'll give you a shout out in our next episode. And tag us in your photos. If you have books by or about women that you're reading, that you're loving, please, please, please send them along to us. Tag us on Instagram or Litzy or Twitter. And we would love to share those photos with our listeners. Um, Just keep sharing the love all around everybody. So autumn next month is... Books in translation! Well, (laughs) spill beans. Yes, it is Women in Translation, and I am so, so excited because if you follow us anywhere, you'll notice we've been reading these books forever. 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 Me longer Um, forever than her. (laughs) Because I picked the 500-page Russian novel. Uh, that That was her choice. I picked it. I volunteered. I'm like, I'll read this one. That's... 200 pages. (laughs) I am a glutton for punishment. What can I say? But it was beautiful. So tune in next time. We're so incredibly excited. We've been praying for this for literally months. And we had to have it at the end of the year because we need more time to read. But we're so excited to share Women in Translation with you. So tune in in the beginning of November. And so that's it. So you can find us on, you can find me, Autumn Privet, on Twitter at Autumn Privet, Instagram, let's see, all the places, and Kendra Winchester at Katie Winchester. You can also find at The Reading Women on Instagram, Twitter, let's see. All the places. All the places. We are there, um, and we often post quotes and things that we're reading and random stuff and pictures of our pet children, and it's just wonderful, and you should join us. And that's it. So thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Storybound is a podcast where acclaimed writers read their essays and stories, which are then scored by unique and award-winning composers with each episode hosted by myself, Jude Brewer. With Storybound, you'll find a whole array of genres and musical styles, some painful yet sweet or hilarious yet tragic. 
all brought to you by the Podglomerate and Lit Hub Radio. Hi, I'm So Pandeb. Hi, I'm Megan Angelo. This is Tommy Orange. This is Amanda Stern. This is Phil Cly. Hello, this is Stephanie Dandler. My name is Chloe Caldwell, and you're listening to Storybound. Storybound. This is Storybound. 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 This is the Storybound podcast. Season two will be arriving on July 14th with new episodes every Tuesday, featuring writers like Stephanie Dandler, Garth Greenwell, Tommy Orange, Chloe Caldwell, and more. Make sure to subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And tell a friend, because the next best thing to hearing a great story is having someone to share it with.